Hey, this is Jeremy McCrory, and this is the Run for Jesus podcast, a ministry podcast that will help you run the race of faith in your Christian life like never before. This morning, we're going to be continuing the series on the blessings or the Beatitudes, and we're going to be looking at mercy today. Now, here's Here's full disclosure about me. I am a child that was born in 1980, and one of my very favorite movies growing up, and uh, Jeremy will know this, is The Karate Kid. Now, in The Karate Kid, it got to the what I would say would be the best scene of the tournament, and they're in the tournament, and, and somehow they get in the tournament, which is a whole other set of a different story, but the best scenes, according to me, is the opponent was given or told to go to Daniel and show no mercy, to sweep the leg. Anybody remember that? All right, so Daniel would get hurt, but would go on to win the tournament. Now, what happens when we have that sense of mercy or lack of mercy? Having no mercy hurts those around us, but displaying mercy as we've been given through God, it changes everything. So, how, how do you and I define mercy? How do we know what mercy is? Mercy in our hearts begins with a relationship with Jesus Christ. I can't know mercy until I know the forgiveness and the mercy and the grace that's been given to me through Jesus in that relationship. So if we understand that God has demonstrated that mercy toward us, then it's said that we should reflect the same attitude in our own lives, right? So when we reflect, we're not showing ourselves, we're showing the image of God in our lives. So what happens when we don't do those things? Well, Jeremy Taylor once said this, he said, Mercy is like the rainbow which God has set in the clouds. It never shines after it is night. If we refuse mercy here, we shall have justice in eternity. So mercy... If we are following as we ought to, should be demonstrated in our life. And how we demonstrate that in our lives is in the relationships that we have and how we treat one another in the same way that he has treated us and given himself for us. So how does God define mercy And I think if you're asking that question, we have to say it like this. He defines mercy different than you and I would, doesn't he? Because sometimes the way that we define mercy is based on what someone else has done, right? We say, well, they have exhausted all of their chances, so they don't deserve mercy. Or they've wronged me, so they don't deserve mercy. Or you don't know what they've done, they don't deserve mercy. But what we look at as our example is God's mercy. Now, this is defined like this. It's God's compassion on people. Very simple. Mercy, according to him, is God's compassion on people. That doesn't say in this in the small script below, depending on what they've done, you know, this is not one of those commercials like we hear that have the quick chatter at the end that says, depending on this, and that, you know, it's not that. It's just God's compassion on people. So let's look at Matthew 5, 7. It says it this way. It says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. So if we are merciful, 
then we're going to receive mercy from God, right? If we are merciful, if we demonstrate that characteristic, if we demonstrate how Christ has demonstrated that in our lives, then, then that happens to be the way that others receive that and we receive mercy. Exodus 34 verses 6 and 7 say it in this way. Then the Lord passed in front of him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression and sin, and he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children, the grandchildren to the third and fourth generation. So here's some attributes that you hear within the storyline there. They, these kind of attributes are these kind of things that are qualities that God is seeking. He's seeking justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Now how many of us look at that and say, well, I obey the rules, right? I do good things. I, I follow the Ten Commandments. I do certain things in the Bible, but, but, but certain things I leave out, certainly I'm okay because I follow the rules. Well, see, he's more about developing us in our Christian character than anything else. And so the goal in Matthew, the goal in these scriptures is developing us into who he wants us to be. Another thing that came out of this passage as I was digging into it was the thought that if God shows mercy to the merciful then what does he say of you and I? That's hard to swallow, isn't it? Because sometimes we don't extend the same mercy that we've been given by God, do we? Sometimes we don't love others and forgive others as we've been forgiven. Sometimes we don't have that same heart that he has. See, our overflow of mercy should spill over into all aspects of our walk with Jesus, right? We, meaning we extend forgiveness and mercy and grace to people who don't deserve it, right? Because Christ demonstrated to us more times than we could ever count His mercy and grace. Undeserved mercy and grace. Because He loves us. So for us, we look at it, at that overflow... The merciful are those who relate to others with a forgiving and compassionate spirit. God will show that mercy to those who are merciful. And so it matters how we treat others, doesn't it? It matters how you and I treat one another. We like to think the things that we do only affect us in our small bubble. But how we treat other people matters in the kingdom of God. So Matthew 6, 14 and 15 talk about it like this. It says, For if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you don't forgive others, then your heavenly Father will not forgive your transgressions. Now that might not alarm you as much as you would allow for it to, but if you make mistakes like I do every day, I don't want anything in between God's mercy and grace in my life. I don't want any kind of barriers, barricades, walls, or anything else. I want to know that He hears me. And I want to know that He forgives me for the things which I do and the decisions which I should have made. 
And so if I extend that forgiveness and that mercy to those around me that many would say might not deserve it, then what am I doing? I'm opening up that barricade. I'm taking down those walls. I'm moving with clarity towards God where He can hear me and I can hear Him and He forgives me. And so, as we really just take a dive into that, we begin to see that He will forgive our transgression. But lastly, what do we look at here? What will be said of us when judgment is rendered upon our lives? Most people get into this argument or talk back and forth about this. And they might actually believe, and maybe many of you believe, that the only people that will stand before God will be those who have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because certainly I won't stand before God if I don't believe in God, right? Certainly I won't stand before God if I don't have that relationship with God. He's only for those who actually believe that He's real, right? But my scripture, my God says this, that we all stand before a mighty judge. Who is to issue justice or render judgment for all of us, right? So that means that if I have chosen my entire life to walk in a manner of the world, or if I've chosen to not believe in Jesus Christ, or I've chosen to not issue mercy or not issue grace when I've been demonstrated and shown that, then I'm going to have to give an account for my life. So we all are going to stand before this righteous judge, we all are going to have to give an account of why we lived the way we lived and what we did with what God has given us. So what will be said when we are in that moment of rendering? What we hope to hear is this, Matthew 25, verses 34 through 36. It says in verse 34, it says, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And then he says it this way. And this is what illustrates to us just how important it is how we treat others. Verse 35 says, For when I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. So, how we treat those that are the least of these. How we treat those that are without Christ in their lives. How we treat those who have made so many bad decisions in their life that they don't feel worth it. How we love others really does matter. And it matters because we want the gospel to get to their hearts and minds. Mark 11 says it in this way, and this is a summarization of Mark eleven twenty five: When we forgive others, God forgives us. So, how and why does God treat us this way? How and why does God treat us so good when we're not good to others? How does God treat us in this way when we don't extend His mercy? How does God treat us in this way when we don't forgive others? How does God treat us this way when we're too busy to stop and help another person? Psalm 103, 
brings it into focus here. It's because of His compassion. Meaning that our heart must be in tune with His heart. And we love others because we've been first loved. Let's look at this passage. Psalm 103, verse 8 through 14 says, The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. He will not always strive with us, nor will He keep His anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins. Amen? Not, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. Amen? For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His loving kindness towards those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far He has removed our transgressions from us. Amen? Understand the amen parts are, are from me. Um, so uh, don't look in your Bible for those. But, um, but just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. <coughs> for he himself knows our frame. He is mindful that we are but dust. He knows us. He knows how we live and what we do and how we treat one another. Yet He is generous with His compassion. He gives mercy to the undeserved. Me, you, all of us. He treats us better than we deserve. And even though we are yet sinners... He forgives us and removes our iniquity from our lives, right? He forgives our sin and scatters it, right? As far as the east is from the west. And what does He do? He removes it. I love the way the New American Standard says that. He removes our transgression. How many of you have ever had to have surgery to have something removed? You don't want it still to be there, right? You want it to be gone. Like, there's no surprise like saying, hey, that's supposed to be gone, but it's still there. He has removed our iniquities completely. And I know sometimes you say, well, could he have done just a halfway job? God has never demonstrated that he does anything halfway. Because at our worst estate, he sent Jesus to die for us. He gave his very best for me and for you, for us, for all times. But then it becomes a question of this. You know, how we treat one another, how we're compassionate, as He is compassionate, how we extend that same kind of mercy. So how often should I forgive others? How often do you and I forgive others? Boys, how often do we need to forgive one another? We need to forgive one another as many times as He says... And often, and over and over again, verses 21 and 22 of Matthew 18. Many of you know this because you have looked at it time and again. And it's a convicting set of scriptures. It says that Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times. So he's saying, you look, you know, seven is the perfect number. I'm going to throw that out to him. He's going to take that and say, okay, only seven times am I allowed to do wrong? And forgive them. He says what? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but 70 times seven. In other words, what he was saying is always forgive. Continuously forgive. 
Forgive others and extend mercy because you've been given mercy beyond measure. So we, we see that time and again in how we do that, that we are to do the very same thing, to forgive others, forgive others. Luke 6, 35 says this, but, it, but love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great and you will be the sons of the Most High and He Himself is kind to ungrateful and evil man. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. So how do I know the difference? Maybe you've lived a life where you are just now figuring out what it means to believe in Jesus and live for Christ. And this is what he says in 1 Peter 2. It says that for you were once not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. In other words, once we didn't know any better, but now we do. Amen. Once we didn't have that relationship with Jesus Christ, but now that we do, and we can't unknow what we know, because if Christ has changed us, He has changed us 100%, removed our sin, that we might demonstrate the very same thing. We did not know mercy, but now we do. So there's responsibility with that. And one of the greatest questions you and I could ask of ourselves is how? How did he do all of that? How can I have mercy in my life? How can I have eternal life? Luke 10, 25. Turn with me there. Luke 10, 25. In Luke 10, 25, there's a question. You see, Jesus was always one of those that answered a lot of questions, right? How many of you have little kids at home and they ask you a lot of questions? Anybody? That's an awful lot of questions, right? And after a while, you're like, please, just give my ears a break, right? Just give me a moment. You know, just what do I do? And you look at the people of God who had only a short amount of time with Jesus and they had a bunch of questions and they were trying to, some were trying to trip him up. Some were genuinely trying to figure out answers. And so it says here, how am I to have eternal life? Luke 10, 25 says this, And a lawyer stood up and put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he asked him, What is written in the law? How does it read to you? And he answered, This is important. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Verse 28 says this, And he said to him, You have answered correctly, Do this and live. See, there was a lot of people that came to Jesus, that asked the question, that didn't like the answer, did they? They asked him a lot of questions. And some of them walked away just shaking their head because in their mind, they were more righteous than he. Or in their mind, they had a better answer than he. And Jesus did a lot of things that you and I would say, he said, what? To who? He was with somebody in their home that didn't deserve. How could he do this? And Jesus said, he came for those who were sick. Right? Those who were poor in spirit. Those who were in the greatest need. 
It wasn't necessarily the healthy ones that he came for. The spiritually elite that he came for. Those who already had his word in their heart. So we have eternal life only through Jesus Christ. Who came at our lowest estate and chose to die in our place. He chose to step into our place. So some questions on this morning I really want you to ask of yourself. The first question is, have you experienced the mercy and compassion of God? Meaning this, have you believed in the redemption that Jesus offered you? See, I believe there's a bunch of questions we have to ask of ourselves within our lifetime. But I believe the greatest thing we ask of ourselves in our lifetime is, who is Jesus to us? The disciples were asked, who do you say that I am? In this morning, I'm asking you in a similar way, have you believed in the redemption that Jesus has offered you? And if not, what is standing in your way? What's standing in your way? Is it reasoning? Maybe in your mind you think you're too dark, too callous, too wrong, too sinful, that you can't be forgiven? Is it reasoning? Is it rationalizing? Is it the old devil? Is it sin that just seems too heavy? You say, well, well, certainly I, ha- I don't have a story like everybody else has, and they, they didn't do all the things that I did, but I'm telling you some of those that are the most free in their lives are because of Christ in their hearts. And I've seen prisons and been in prisons and I've been to places like Angola, one of the bloodiest prisons in America, and I've seen people that will never ever get out of that place that were freer than a lot of us because they knew Jesus in their heart. There were men who were asking To be put in Angola prison so that they could be missionaries to the people they're locked up with. I'm telling you, there's God working in everybody's heart. Regardless of where they have been. Regardless of our understanding of what they deserve. It is God's work in their lives. I was reading through a lot of sermon illustrations on this. And one of the preachers that I really like is Charles Spurgeon. And Charles Spurgeon is a preacher to preachers. But he's also dealt with a lot of things like I have dealt with. He's dealt with depression. He's dealt with anxiety. In his lifetime, that was a part of his story. And so he gave this illustration on this, on mercy, on repentance, on prayer. And it's entitled, You Have One Match Left. He said in this way, he said, you know, perhaps the story of the traveler on the prairie when a fire in the distance could be seen. The prairie was blazing and he knew that his only hope for life was to fight fire with fire. He searched for his matches. If he could make a ring around him and burn the grass so that when the fire came up to it, they would have nothing to feed on, then he might escape. He found only three matches in his box. He took one and struck it with some degree of care, but before he could light the train, 
that he had laid, the match had gone out. He took another, and this time very tremblingly, with much, with much anxiety he, about him, he struck it. There was a light. He thought he was safe, but a gust of wind came and blew it out. And now all depended on that last match. He must be burned to ashes, unhelped, unpitied by friend, if that match failed him. So down he falls and breathes the prayer, God help me. God help me. Grant me that this may succeed. So he struck it. Now you may guess with what care he had laid it all on the grass around it. And when he struck it as though he were to loathe to, to run to the terrible risk. But he praised God when he saw success. And that his life was saved. You have only one match left, sinner. Use it well. One light, one time, the time to seek the Lord. Seek Him now. Seek Him today. This moment say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. So if we know that time is running out, if we know that life is short, if we know that Christ has spoken to our hearts and we need to respond to Him, Y'all, we only have one match. We only have an opportunity. And Jesus is that opportunity. However, if we count ourselves as the redeemed, then why are we slow to extending mercy to others? See, for us as believers in Christ, you and I should have more reasoning to extend God's mercy to others than anyone else, right? We should have more reasons to love our neighbor. We should have more reasons to forgive others. We should have more reasons than anybody else because we've been forgiven and we've been extended mercy in our life. It's because of Jesus. And you have many people that says, well, I just can't forgive them of what they've done. But I think we often forget of just how much we've been forgiven of in our lives. See, Christ doesn't give stipulations in that sense. He says, come to me. So we need to extend that and that witness to those around us. To anyone and everyone. It's because of Jesus. Thirdly, in what ways has he been compassionate towards you? In what ways has the Lord been compassionate to you? And in what ways can you be compassionate to others? In the same way, right? If the Lord has heaped His compassion on your life, then you ought to be able to demonstrate that compassion to others. Because we never know in how we treat one another if it will be the conversation that opens them up to the gospel message of Jesus Christ in their lives. That it is a message of forgiveness, of mercy, of grace undeserved. And lastly... In gratefulness, I'm going to ask you to come today to accept Jesus for salvation, for prayer, and to thank the Lord for His undeserved mercy and compassion towards us all. Let's pray, y'all. Father God, we have but one moment in life as we think of it. And this moment is right here upon us. 
So God, as we pray unto you, God, we ask forgiveness for the way that we've lived, for the mess that we've made. God, for this undeserved mercy that we don't deserve, yet you give us so freely. Father God, we come admitting that we are a sinner, admitting that we don't deserve forgiveness, but knowing that Jesus died for us. He gave his life willingly for us so that we might live, so that everyone might taste and see, so that others in this room and watching elsewhere might know that they are loved beyond their sin and they can be forgiven and their iniquities spread as far as the east is from the west. Father God, we come this morning, many of us trying to rationalize or reason why we do what we do. But Father God, you want nothing but to be in a relationship with us. So Father God, I pray this morning, if we don't know you as Lord and Savior, God, that today is that very day that we take our one match and strike it, knowing that you are worth everything. Father God, I thank you for demonstrating your love to us. Father God, I I thank you for the reminder of how we ought to live and extend the same grace and mercy to those that are undeserved in our life but are loved nonetheless by you. Father God, we also know that there will be a day when we all stand in judgment before you and the God of all justice will tell us exactly what he thinks of us. Father God, I don't want anything in between me and you. And Father God, I pray that we all don't want that same thing, God. But we want to just be in a right relationship with you. So God, today as we are thinking about how good you are to us, how compassionate you are to us, God. God, I pray that we're reminded that the altar is open wide. That your, your arms are greater. And that your love is mightier than all of our sins. And you will forgive us and forgive us. And forgive us because you love us. Father God, I pray that you move us in this moment in time to respond to your gospel's message. God, and I pray this in your very name. The name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Run for Jesus podcast with Jeremy McCrory. Tune in next time for more relevant sermons and ministry helps to help you run the race of faith in your Christian life like never before. Thank you.